the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download the podcast from my website, sykline.com. While you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Shalom Klein. So I've got a treat in store for you. I'm thrilled to be joined by workplace legal expert, Peter Raybar, um, who has worked for, uh, for decades in, uh, some of the, uh, in helping clients through the most important decisions of their professional lives. After almost 20 years of representing major international corporate clients in high-profile matters, um, specifically in em- employment law, Peter founded the Raybar Group, a boutique employment law practice based in New York City, uh, specializing in representing individuals, including C-suite executives, media, media personalities, and other professionals working in finance, media, sports, real estate, fashion, and tech. Peter Raybar, welcome to the program. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for that great introduction. Absolutely. A pleasure to have you. So I always like to start in the very, very beginning. Peter, when, uh, when you initially got into law, did you imagine that you'd be uh, heading off on your own and working with some pretty high-profile individuals? No, I, 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 it was never in the cards for me to start my own practice, to be honest. When I, when I went to law school and graduated, uh, I wanted to be a, a sports lawyer. So I, I did want to work on high-profile matters, but, you know, on behalf of leagues and teams. And, you know, I did that for a while at a, at a big law firm. But ultimately, you know, here I am doing it in a very different capacity. And, you know, it's been a wonderful road. And, and I really... I, I love what I what I am doing now, so I'm really happy with the decision. Absolutely. So, in a nutshell, I mean, tell us what your area of expertise is and how you've sort of developed that niche. Sure, my expertise is employment law. It's all I do, and I work on all aspects of employment law, every aspect of work of of a workplace decision. Um, I represent mostly executives now and and individuals. But I started my career working on behalf of companies, uh, first at a, a major law firm and then at a major media company. And as time went on and as my network grew, I realized there was a real need. Employ- individuals were having a really hard time you know, getting good workplace advice and good employment advice. And so instead of sending out cases to friends who were doing that work, I decided to start my own practice and, and do it. Fantastic. So uh, it's you, you, you are touching on something really, really interesting that I know all of our listeners are curious about, employment law. 
And whether you are a major media figure like some of your clients they work with, Peter, or you know somebody somebody local and you know uh, working in a company or certainly owning a small business, there's a lot that folks need to know. So, what are some of the common threads and common themes that you hear from your clients and beyond? Well, it it is really important for people to have access to good advice when making workplace decisions, because I think a lot of people don't. They rely on family members and friends who may or may not know everything about what they're, what they're, what they're facing at work. And so, you know, the issues I work on with people, you know, uh, predominantly are re- related to negotiating their contracts, their employment agreements, offer letters, uh, non-compete agreements, severance agreements, uh, you know, the basic thread is you should never sign a legal document without understanding what it says. Uh, and and if you're not a lawyer or you don't understand what it says, you should have someone explain it to you and you should hire someone to, to work on it with you. <laughs> um, another common thread is people are generally uh, reluctant to negotiate job offers and, you know, uh, and, and they're willing to accept what employers put in front of them because they're afraid they're going to lose lose the offer. And while some people may not have the leverage to accept, to, to negotiate, a lot do, and they don't realize it. So I love helping people discover that, you know, they have this power and they have this leverage at the moment when they're, uh, you know, on the verge of accepting a new job and helping them better the terms of, of that new position. So I, I don't think people always realize the value before they meet me. And they certainly do. I think <laughs> the practice has been going on for a few years now. So I, I think after working together, I think they quickly, we quickly realize the value of, of, of what a lawyer can add to a particular work related situation. No question about it. Again, I'm chatting with attorney Peter Rabar, um, who, uh, as you've been hearing, we've been talking about common threads and common themes in employment law. And I, Peter, I want to spend the next few minutes talking about, call it current events. Um, so sure. we can talk about some high profile cases that are out there. I know that you've, you, you are frequently in the media uh, sharing your feedback. But let's talk about something that everybody is hearing more and more about. And that is uh, chat GPT and AI and so on. What, what does that connect with employment law? And again, whether you're an employee or an employer, what do folks need to know so they are uh, so they're staying on the right side of the issue? This is my favorite topic. I, I've been talking about it so much lately, and every day the the things we could talk about grow. But I'll, I'll I'll give you the headlines. You know, if you're an employer, certainly you're going to want to find ways to introduce generative AI tools into your business. The question is, what are the right ways? And what are the right ways to do it? So if you're an employer, particularly smaller employers, you have to pay attention to laws that are being passed that regulate the use of these tools. And you have to pay attention to, you know, legal rights and obligations that you have, you know, whether it's the IP that comes out of, you know, these these platforms and in the finished products, uh, you know, whether it's your own IP that, employees are are putting in to get the output, whether it's confidential information, et cetera. So I would say it's very important for employers to have a policy regulating use and how it's going to be used in, in your workplace. For employees, I would say don't be afraid of AI. 
there's a lot of stories out there about AI taking everyone's jobs and replacing all the humans, et cetera. Don't worry about that. Just put that to the side. What you should be focused on as a worker is mastering AI tools. All of these tools need humans to enable them, to put data into them, to put prompts into them, et cetera. Become an expert. Become someone who is of value to an employer. If you're in college, you have no excuse not to master these tools. Put it on your resume. Put it on your LinkedIn. This is what this is a, a key skill that employers are looking for right now. So make sure that you are becoming a master, not someone who's afraid of losing their job. Yeah, no question about it. Again, AI is, is around. It's here to stay. And uh, absolutely agreed. Uh, many of our listeners know that, you know, I'm in Army Reservist and uh, many military organizations are, are bringing in experts in in AI and embracing it. And it's not replacing people, it's just enhancing what we can do. So again, embrace it, whether you're an employer, employee, embrace it for sure. It's, uh, I, I, it's comical. I did see uh, a story about an attorney the other, uh, the other week that uh, wrote his entire case law uh, that oh, was submitted yeah. and he used, uh, <laughs> he used AI. That wasn't so, good. <laughs> I mean, that was not good. Common that sense not does, good. does need to prevail, especially if you're in that profession. Um, but Peter, we, don't, we, we know that you are uh, guiding folks on how to use it correctly. The last uh, piece of current events that I want to jump to for a moment, and I know, again, you've been in the news talking about Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson, oh, very yeah. high-profile situation between him and Fox News. Uh, who do you think is going to have the upper hand in that, uh, in that little legal employment law legal battle that's going on? It's a really interesting battle. Uh, it's gone quiet for the last few weeks, so I, I, I have some suspicions about what that may mean. But if this case ever ends up in court, Fox would definitely have the upper hand. Uh, media personalities have very unique contracts for their services because they are high-profile public figures that companies like Fox spend millions of dollars promoting and developing. Uh, they can't just have their talent walk out at any time they choose to. Um, and, you know, here Fox chose to part ways with Tucker, but importantly, they didn't fire him. They're still paying him. So he's still under contract to them through the end of next year. So, you know, Fox's argument is we, we or would be if they end up in court, but I'm sure it is in their negotiations going on behind the scenes is we have you in under contract until next year. And in New York, Courts are very familiar with these contracts and would uphold that. But we haven't seen a court battle yet. We may be there yeah. soon. I, I assume they're at the final stages of a, a negotiated settlement, though. Usually when things are quiet, it's usually yes. a, a good indicator. But um, no, you would certainly know. Again, I've been chatting with attorney Peter Raybar, um, an expert in all of these matters and more. We appreciate the insight you've provided. And certainly want to encourage our listeners to get in touch with you and your firm uh, to follow your work and continue to get your insight. How can we do that? Well, uh, you could reach me a couple ways. I'm, I'm available on my uh, website, which is theraybargroup.com. I also uh, am very active on LinkedIn, so you could uh, find all my information there. Fantastic. Peter Raybar, I really appreciate you joining us, theraybargroup.com. And of course, uh, very active, as you said, on LinkedIn. We'll link in the show notes as well. Peter, thanks for joining us and come back again soon. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Quick break. We'll be back with lots more small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return to Touch That Dial. Hey, and we're 
are back on the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. I'm excited to be joined by Christina Wallace, a senior lecturer of entrepreneurial management at Harvard Business School, angel investor and author of The Portfolio Life, How to Future-Proof Your Career, Avoid Burnout, and Build a Life Bigger Than Your Business Card. Christina, welcome to the program. I always love to get started with who you are, Christina, you've uh, done a lot, uh, but have. why are you so passionate about entrepreneurship? Uh, that's a great question. I love um, both building things that don't exist before, going from nothing to something, um, and the joy of kind of rallying a team around solving customer problems. Um, I did this as a theater director in a first version of my life, and then I discovered entrepreneurship when I was at business school and fell in love. So I have followed this path as a serial entrepreneur myself and now as a professor of entrepreneurship and an investor. Oh, that's awesome. I know you've, uh, you've been published in Forbes, Quartz, and, and um, Detroit Free Press, Time, mm-hmm. and L among others. Um, so you've uh, been all over the place and some really, really interesting, uh, some really interesting experiences including, uh, not well-known, but uh, you, uh, you did a viral uh, TED Talk about uh, <laughs> using a sales funnel for online dating. Let's yes. start with that because uh, it just shows your entrepreneurial energy and adapting to anything. Why, why that topic? <laughs> uh, great question. Um, I've been going to TED for a few years, and they wanted to shake things up. They, you know, it can get a little bit um, uh, overwhelming with all the serious talks. You can imagine a week of, of all of those really deep and meaty talks. And they thought, let's do some, some fun and slightly irreverent ones. They asked if I had any ideas and this was the first one that came to mind. And so now I have you know, two and a half million views learning how I met my husband on OKCupid. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's amazing. And I encourage all of our listeners to check it out. Certainly shake things up. You did. So you wrote the portfolio life, how to future how to future-proof your career, avoid burnout, and build a life bigger than your business card. All three of those areas are certainly something every one of our listeners <laughs> wants to do. So what was your inspiration? What are some of the conversations that the one and only Christina Wallace has been having that that sort of uh, motivated you to uh, to write yet another book? <laughs> so part of this, I, I joke, but I'm a little bit serious. I wrote this book to explain to my mother what the hell it is I've been doing with my career. Um, so in some ways, it explains the the zigzag and the very entrepreneurial approach I've taken to my whole career itself. And in particular, you know, anyone who's thinking about future proofing a career in a face of constant disruption, which is only going to continue, um, has to be opportunistic, has to be looking at what are ways uh, that I can participate, put my skills, my talents to use, and to build something of value. And whether that means toggling between being an entrepreneur, uh, joining a company, um, or doing a little bit of both uh, with some combination of income streams, that's going to be crucial to staying afloat in a world that's going to be facing a lot of change. But the challenge, the second part of this book, Avoid Burnout, the challenge is you can't take too much on. There is sort of a sweet spot in how you manage all the different pieces of your life without burning out and to do so in a way that's really sustainable. And that's what leads us to the last piece, building a life bigger than your business card. I think no one wants to be on their deathbed and be only really proud of all of the the work they did, uh, but not be able to point to the joy, the relationships, the impact they have. And so as you put all of these things together, this is where the portfolio analogy becomes relevant. How are you allocating your time, your talents, your energy across a portfolio that makes up work, life, family, and all of the other things that matter? 
Absolutely. And I want to dive into that um, more in, in detail in just a moment. But one of the things that I, I find really, really interesting in the portfolio life is you talk about that portfolio concept of, of building a board of directors yes. versus having one mentor. And we talk about mentorship a lot. And I mm-hmm. wholeheartedly agree with that statement. So, I mean, Christina, let's talk personally, if we can. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's your structure? Where do you get your counsel and advice from? Yeah, I have um, I have a handful of folks that I've been turning to for many years, um, mostly women that I have met through the New York startup community. And then beyond that, women I met through um, other work that were a little bit more established. Uh, and then as I moved up to Boston and, and joined the faculty here at Harvard, sort of populating with a really diverse group of folks that can chime in on everything from how I negotiate deals to how I think about my my book and my um, speaking gigs to even people who can give me some, you know, real talk, some feedback on maybe how I'm showing up or how I'm, um, you know, potentially shooting myself in the foot um, because they've seen me year over year over year in a bunch of different contexts. And, and this is the challenge, right? As certainly as a small business owner or as anyone who is jumping from one world to another, it can be hard to have that mentorship that you might have had in a bigger company or in a more stable career path in the past. And so it's crucial to really be proactive about pulling these folks in and saying, I'm going to come to you. I need the accountability. I need the advice and I need the access. Uh, will you play this role in, in my career and in my life? Christina, you alluded to it just a moment ago. Um, well, it's, it's great to celebrate successes. And indeed, we hope that we have many more successes than failures. The reality is, is that we do have failure. Mm-hmm. We do struggle at times. For every uh, great idea, there's usually a, a bad idea that doesn't come <laughs> to the finish line. Kristen, I know you've been through that yourself. Mm-hmm. So if we can, you know, talk about that of sort of uh, getting comfortable with with failure, but also in the midst of that, avoiding burnout along mm-hmm. the way. Yeah. So fail. I mean, I I straight up failed. My first startup absolutely flat out failed. And and I talk pretty openly about that because for me as a high achiever, I had literally never failed at anything in my life until this moment. And it it threw me for a loop because my identity was so wrapped up in one of success that the notion of failure really felt you know, life-threatening to be slightly melodramatic. But but in that moment, I was like, this is not who I am. And what I realized was I had been avoiding trying so many different things up to this point in my life for fear of failure, because failure was not who I was. I would avoid trying things that I thought had some risk to it. And if you think about a financial portfolio, you have to build risk to see returns. That's part of how you think about diversification and portfolio theory. Not everything is going to pan out, but as long as you have this diversification, you can face some failures and still have that return you're looking for. And so I decided I had to get comfortable with risk and with the prospect of failure if I wanted to take on big things. And and burnout becomes related to this because as you think about diversifying your activities, there is sort of this this limit to how much you can do. And that's where, again, the portfolio metaphor becomes helpful. You have to think about your allocations across these different pieces of your day, your week, uh, your life. And you might decide for this 
season of my life, I'm going to put these particular pieces of, of, you know, my identity, my interest at a 0% allocation because I don't have the capacity. But when I go through that transition to that next season of life, I'm going to remix, reallocate my portfolio for a combination of what suits me for right now. Absolutely. I've been chatting with the one and only uh, entrepreneurial master, um, Christina Wallison, really enjoying our conversations. We're at the, uh, my favorite point in the conversation where we like to give homework assignments to our <laughs> listeners, make sure it's practical. You know, we air this show on Sundays, which is a great point because uh, at that point, everybody can sort of roll up their sleeves and, and get down to business in the week ahead. What mm-hmm. are the practical steps and tips that you want to leave our listeners, small business owners, employees, future entrepreneurs with? Yeah, I mean, the number one thing that I want you to get started with is to, to really flesh out who you are. And I mean that broadly, beyond your business card. So for anyone who's been particularly self-reflective over the years, you might have a sense of like, I am bigger than how I monetize my time today. Who am I? Am I a storyteller, a salesperson, a connector? But if you're not someone who has a good sense of this, this is where you can go out and start having coffee chats with your network and ask them, what do you come to me for? Where do I stand out against my peers? When have you seen me happiest? And start collecting data on how you show up in the world and what unique thing you have to offer. That's going to power how you think about the next chapter. I love it. I love it, Christina. I've learned a lot in our conversation today. I certainly look forward to bringing you back on the program. But in the meantime, how can folks get a copy of your book and get in touch with you? The Portfolio Life is wherever books are sold online in your favorite independent bookstore, you name it. Um, and to follow, keep up with me, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can join my newsletter at PortfolioLife.com. I promise I won't spam your inbox. I probably send two a year. <laughs> <laughs> portfolio Life. Um, so many lessons there. We could have gone on for hours, but uh, that's all the time we have. Uh, Christina, thank you so much for joining us. We'll link to it in the show notes as well, but a quick break. Some headlines, commercials. We'll be right back in the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We've got a real treat in store for you. I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Deje Oyode, um, who has who was the first African immigrant to become a nuclear missile operator in the United States Air Force and serve in three, you heard it right, three U.S. military branches. He is a trained veterinary surgeon, combat medic, nuclear weapons system, SME, and the list goes on and on. In fact, he's uh, doing some uh, work as a uh, United States Space Force Department of Defense civilian at the Pentagon. And he has turned his storytelling as solace from an early life of poverty and loss. His new book is Underground, a memoir of hope, faith, and the American dream. Deji, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you very much for having me. How are you today? I- yeah, I'm fantastic. It's an honor to have you on. Thank you for your continued service um, and inspiring our listeners with, again, Underground, the memoir of Hope, Faith, and the American Dream. You certainly have a lot to say about the American Dream. So let's dive right in because we've got a segment over here. Why did you write Underground? Well, uh, I wrote Underground. It wasn't meant to be a book, but uh, I, I, when I got married and had my, my daughter in 2010, I, I thought, you know, I needed to keep a record you know, how I got here. I, I was the first to come to the, America, to the United States, and I wanted to have a record, you know, how I came here, what I went through to build a life that I, I've been able to build for us, and 
and hopefully they will carry that information on to the, to the next generation and the generation after that. Uh, so in 2013, when my son arrived, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start writing. I need to keep up, keep this record. And then uh, while I was doing that, I remembered a lot more than I thought I would. And I got a little emotional and just kept pouring things out. And eventually, you know, I should what a it was just a long write-up, you know, and it, it, there was, I didn't have chapters and anything like that. My wife reviewed it, and, you know, she started crying after a couple pages in and said, I can't believe you went through all yeah. these. And you absolutely need to turn this into a book because this can change, change so many lives, you know. And, and I don't and, want to share all the secrets, Neji, because we're going to send people over to your book and, of course, to your website. Um, but you're absolutely, your, your wife is absolutely right. Um, you're underground and memoir of hope, faith, and the American dream. Indeed, I love, I love talking about the American dream, and you have lived it, my friend. You went from uh, becoming a veterinary surgeon to becoming a U.S. sailor in the Navy, an airman in the Air Force, and guardian in the Space Force. I mean, as an Army guy myself, I'm only offended uh, that uh, you haven't spent more time in, uh, in the ranks of green. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, how did, you, how did you go through that journey, and, and why did you even join the military to start with? Uh, for, for two reasons. I think number one reason was uh, at that point, I think I had just written my board exams in the U.S. to practice as a veterinary surgeon and uh, as a veterinary doctor. And then I, I just knew something was missing. I, was, I, I felt like I needed to live a purposeful life. And I don't think practicing 100% full time, I was going to get that. So I started you know, looking for, I was looking for something that would just make me feel fulfilled. And I always liked the idea of being in the military and I thought I could do more. I could touch more lives. I could reach more people. And so I did. Uh, but the second reason also at that time, I had my permanent residency after I got married and, you know, my mom and my siblings were still in Nigeria. And, you know, one of the fastest ways to naturalize in the United States, you know, you enlist in the military and then you naturalize. And then as a graduate, I could commission, right. As an, as a commission officer, so I decided to go through that route, you know what? And I would say thanks to the military because I remember when I was in a Navy boot camp, it was when I got naturalized and coming out of boot camp, I was already eligible to file for my mom. And before you know that, she was able to file for my kid brother. So it was all encompassing. I thought it was just that. I was just searching for happiness, you know, and sense of fulfillment. And it took me where I needed to be. Yeah, well, I love that you're telling this story and hopefully it inspires folks because you, uh, you talk in the book about how your Nigerian upbringing instilled in you the power of community and faith and how you overcame some of that prejudice. And now, of course, as you just said a moment ago, uh, Deji, serving in three branches of the U.S. military and believing in the American dream, which is inspiring. So, Deji, we only have about a minute and a half remaining. And I, I just want to give you the last uh, minute or so. What, what do you want to say to immigrants and maybe non-immigrants seeking that American dream? What is that underlying message? in undergrounds? Well, the online message for immigrants and non-immigrants alike is that irrespective of who you are or where you come from, if you envision something or you dream of something, it can happen. You feel ready to do the work it takes. You can turn that into reality. You can make your dreams come true, but you have to be willing to do the work. You will experience failures. Don't let them deter you. Learn from them. Move forward and Always believe there's something, there's light at the end of the tunnel and keep pressing on. 
And don't take for granted the privileges and opportunities that are around you, no matter how little, how tiny those opportunities are. Appreciate them, acknowledge them, uh, thank God for them, and, and then take advantage of those opportunities because a lot of people don't have them. Amen, my uh, brother. And, no, I appreciate it. And I yep, appreciate your service, and I appreciate you inspiring everybody with, uh, with, your, uh, with the book, Underground. How can people get in touch with you and pick up a copy of the book? Uh, yes, uh, it's everywhere. It's online. Just go online, tap Digi, IUID Underground, and you will see it. It's at Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, and, and anywhere you can pick up online. But also you can get on my website, which is Digi, IUID, single word, dot com. And it's like a one-stop shop for everything, my, you know, podcasts and articles and, and, awesome. and everything is there on there. Well, yeah. we'll link in the show notes as well. And I look forward to having you back on because I know where there's one book, there's probably many more. Deja Yode, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be right back. Thank you. We are back on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We're going to do something a little bit unique today. I'm joined by an award-winning song producer and performer whose songs have sold in excess of 80 million copies and have been streamed over a billion, with a B, over a billion times. He's best known as the singer and founding member of the platinum-selling rock band, Better Than Ezra. That's right. I am joined by Kevin Griffin, who has performed... Uh, whose songs have been performed by artists such as Taylor Swift, Train, Sugarland. It goes on and on and on. Kevin, welcome to the program. Shalom. I'm giddy to be here. That's, that that, that uh, intro is amazing. I'm kind of nervous just hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm just stoked to talk to you because, uh, you know, creativity uh, sometimes and uh, business don't always go hand in hand. You just wrote a which is not something that I honestly frequently hear songwriters do. You wrote... The greatest song, spark creativity, ignite your career, and transform your life. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Uh, I mean, if I would have asked you 20 years ago if you'd be, uh, if you'd be uh, talking about uh, your, uh, your, uh, your, your songs being streamed over a billion times and we'd be talking about a new book that you wrote, would hmm. you believe me? You know what? It, it, it's, it's not being boastful. You know Yes, because I, I've always I've always written. I was an English major at LSU. I was, uh, you know, studied 20th century literature. I, I always wanted to write. I wrote an I wrote an initial novel uh, in in 2001. It was being edited, and then um, The Hangover came out. The movie The Hangover, and it was a much better version of my story. <laughs> Mine was about a bachelor party gone awry in Tampa, and you know the rest of the story with Hangover. So I got a little discouraged, but I came back uh, roaring with this book. But I, I would be—I would have been surprised if you had told me my first book was going to be a business parable. You know, um, well, I, I love it, and and our listeners love it because this is something that everybody needs to know about. So again, finding creativity in a career. So, Kevin, let's, you've already dove into it, but let's talk about your story and, and how you've become, frankly, so passionate, um, but also getting comfortable with failure, which is something that, frankly, every entrepreneur and everybody in their own career, frankly, has to deal with. What were well, some of those lessons or aha moments for you? I, I think, well, the, the whole genesis of the, of the book was when I was asked to do a speech to a YPO group in Dallas. And, um, and my answer to everything, I live in the world of yes. You ask me, you present me an idea and I say yes. And then I figure out how I'm going to get it done. Um, and so I said yes to do a speech uh, to a business group of entrepreneurs, men and women. 
And as it, as I started to, you know, as the months went by and then I realized I need to write, I need to talk about something. These are very astute people. I, I started kind of looking at my career and the, and the tools that I had to learn um, through, through failure, through success, things that I do on a daily basis to stay successful and inspired and nimble and, and, and creative and, and um, competitive and ultimately happy. Um, and I realized, wow, there's these things I do, these five things I kind of honed in on. So I started doing this speech um, that took off. It started with YPOs and then and different groups like Google and Nike and um, Salesforce. Um, and so I realized the epiphany for me was, wow, the, the creative tools I use to write a song and my and in the music business, the things I do to stay competitive are, are the same tools that anybody can use, whether it's in music or uh, in tech, whatever your business endeavor is. Um, so that was a real aha moment. And because people are interested in music and the industry. Absolutely. I mean, Kevin, it's it's a uh, it's a remarkable lesson and uh, kudos to you for finding that creativity in your own career, um, which, as you said a moment ago, uh, certainly through uh, through song, but also through the written word, uh, you have found that. Um, but one of the one of the uh, uh, terms in your uh, in your book title, transform your life, um, mm-hmm. really fascinates me um, because it sounds like that creativity has transformed your life. So we are a practical show over here. We like to give real lessons to our listeners. I know you, you speak pretty frequently. What are some of the things that you would recommend that our listeners sort of put into action in the week and maybe months ahead as we, believe it or not, come close to wrapping up 2023? It's amazing, right? The first thing I would do is say, practice contrary action. The first lesson that in the book that Sir Daniel Smith Daniels, the, the eccentric 28-year-old billionaire, teaches our protagonist, Jake Stark, is, look, I want you to go out, and the first thing I want you to do is practice contrary action. The things you normally do as your reaction to things that aren't working for you, do the opposite. Because as we go through life, as we go through business and our personal relationships, so often like, hey, you want to wake up and you want to wake up uh, and go hiking this morning? Your, you know, your initial gut into it's like, oh, I just want to stay in. And then you say, no, I'm going to do it. Do you want to do something different creatively um, or do you want to shake things up the normal way you do things? Most people get in a rut. So the first thing is practice contrary action. The other thing I would say to do is check your ego. Remember, there's this line I use in the book, my ego is not my amigo. So you surround yourself daily in business with really talented people. But what you find often is that you're trying to control a business situation because your ego wants you to be in control. Just sit back and practice something that, you, that people rarely do anymore. Just listen. Listen to those talented people that you've hired, that, you, that surround you. Let the idea create the momentum just for one day. Just let that happen. Let someone else be generous in, 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 uh, in credit and ownership, and you'll be inspired by what kind of idea you get just by sitting back, listening to those talented people you have around you. And practice contrary action. That first thing you want to do, do the opposite. Mm-hmm. And once you have that inspiration, then you're unstoppable, um, truly, because then it stops becoming work. And uh, I know, Kevin, you are, uh, you're a living example of that. I've been chatting with singer, songwriter Kevin Griffin, um, who is also the author of The Greatest Songs, Spark Creativity, Ignite Your Career, and Transform Your Life. Kevin, where can we find it and where can we get in touch with you? You can find it at every bookstore. Of course, Amazon. You can go to kevingriffinmusic.com forward slash book. But anywhere you like to get your books or audiobooks, I voice all the characters and there's a soundtrack to the book. Uh, it's a lot of fun. 
And uh, such a pleasure to be on with you. I'll come back real soon. Kevin Griffin, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back and get down to business. Take care. Hey, welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I'm thrilled to be joined by Ash Beckham, who is a speaker, equality advocate, and author of Step Up, How to Live with Courage and Become an Everyday Leader. That's certainly something all of our listeners need to know. Ash, I know you've got a lot out there. You have a TEDx talk coming out of your closet, uh, which has become quite the viral sensation. And you have spoken quite prominently as the the, uh, keynote for the first LGBTQ conference at Harvard University. Ash, welcome to the program. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. So let's talk about your story. Why are you so passionate about this? And, and, uh, and what do we need to know about Step Up? You know, I started um, with the, the TED Talk, and it really empowered me that, you know, our individual stories matter. When we can connect with people through, through humor and, and our human experience, uh, we really can move the dial on changing diversity, equity, and inclusion practices and cultures anywhere, right? In organizations, within our community, because we can really dial into our own stories. We can't expect people to know what, what our life experience has been unless we're willing to share it. And, and I started to do that and, and got some traction and, and, and really felt like I was making an impact. So that was the, the impetus of it. Absolutely. Well, traction indeed. Um, certainly, it's something that uh, has gotten a lot of attention. I know you've uh, spoken at many corporate events, but perhaps there's nothing uh, as important as, uh, again, connecting with individuals, which certainly uh, you have done and have become quite the prominent inclusion activist. So I want to talk for in our in our short time that we have on the program about equality in the workplace, because that is something that certainly all of our listeners, small business owners and employees need to know. So what what are some of the key elements that maybe you're seeing as we have this conversation in mid-2023? Where, where, where's the state of affairs of equality in the workplace? And, and are you are you are, are you optimistic or, or do we have more work to do? Uh, absolutely. I think all, all of the above, right? I think, I think we've made great strides. If you look at where we were, you know, 5, 10, 20 years ago, we've made tremendous strides in the idea of inclusion. At the same time, there's always still more work to do. There's, there's people that inevitably are, are not feeling included. And that's the cultural shift that, that we need to make. And I think there's really three key things that we can do uh, to, to make a successful integration of DEI into any workplace. A, it has to matter to people, right? Like you can yep. come up with all the stats, you can do all the things that you want to do, but if, if people don't think it matters to them, so we individualize that, right? Is it somebody who, who values loyalty? Well, we know that if we have inclusive workplaces, our recruitment and retention is significantly better. Is it somebody that values innovation? We know that diverse perspectives lead to greater innovation. Is it something just about the bottom line? We know that that yeah. matters to them, right? So there's, there's different ways to look at it, but we have to personalize it to our workforce so it matters to them and isn't something that's top down. Absolutely. And, and like you said, there's a lot of practical benefits to it. So we're a practical show over here, Ash. Um, I want to make sure we leave our listeners with something tangibly that they can do in the week ahead. How can a small business owner promote equality in the workplace? I think it's all about education and resources, right? I think when you make DEI something that's on a performance report, right, that's on an annual review, and you can measure that metric in whatever way you want, but we all know what gets measured gets changed, right? So if that's something that people have accountability for, whether that's um, personal education, whether that's um, integrating it into the training that we're doing, 
that there's a measurable component for everybody. And this is not an HR issue, right? This is something that happens across the board. So how is DEI and inclusion brought into a performance review for all employees? It get, lets us know where we are and then gives us the path of where, where we need to go. But that's the first thing is that it's something that we're going to measure. Um, and that really makes every employee part of the solution. That's awesome. Well, I've learned a lot in our conversation. I'm inspired uh, by, uh, by you, Ash Beckham, and really, really excited uh, for all of our listeners to check out a copy of Step Up, How to Live with Courage and Become an Everyday Leader. Um, Ash, I know folks can uh, find out more about you on your website, ashbeckham.com, B-E-C-K-H-A-M.com, over social and Twitter. We'll link in our show notes. Ash, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Uh, thanks so much. Have a great day. Absolutely. And uh, that's a wrap for us here on the show. Let's small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Go to my website, sykline.com. But to success, let's get down to business. And we'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560 The Answer. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.